Hey, grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 16. And I know that we did chapter 16 last week. My, my plan is to hopefully delve into chapter 17, but we have some um, unfinished business in chapter 16, so I'll explain that um, as we go. But in chapter 16, if you could drop down to verse 13, I'm just going to start by reading a couple of verses to prime the pump, and then uh, we'll all be back on the same page and we'll get moving. So let's read together. I'll read it. You can just follow with me, okay? It's chapter uh, 16, verse 13. Uh, let me read a couple of verses. It says this. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay all around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that God, that, excuse me, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Again, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Father, thank you so much for your word, and we pray that tonight you'd feed us, Lord, from your word. But Lord, even as the Bible study, the whole point of tonight is to not just be about Bible study, but to be about Jesus. I pray that we would know Jesus better tonight because we've been here. And Lord, you say in your word, it says that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. This is us drawing near to you. So Lord, come and meet us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, you know, I know many of you guys have been tracking with the story. Um, last week, we covered all of chapter 16. It was a lengthy chapter, a hefty chapter. And the in and out of it is this. As the children of Israel have been traveling out of Egypt now about a month or two into their journey through the desert, on their way to Mount Sinai, where they're going to get the law, but ultimately on their way to the promised land, God is making these stops along the way. And we've already seen that as they're making these stops along the way, God is teaching them lessons about himself. But it's also amazing lessons for us, and we've been kind of dealing with that. But the bulk of chapter 16 is dealing with this miraculous miracle of manna. They got to a place where their food supplies had run out. They did not know what they were going to do. And God says, look, I am going to provide for you miraculously every day, every morning. You're going to wake up, and there's going to be this flaky Dorito chip-like thing on the ground. And that is going to get you through every single day. And God provided this miracle food that, as we talked about last week, must have been like the perfect balance of all vitamins and nutrition and protein and whatever else you need to survive and thrive, God gave that to them in manna. They had to go out and get it every single day. And, um, you know, we went through all of that stuff. And it's an awesome, you know, it's an awesome uh, miracle in and of itself. But we pointed out last week that this miracle of manna is also highly typical and highly practical for us. And what I mean by that is it's typical in that like a lot of these things in the Old Testament that are physical and actual and material and literal, 
they also point forward to New Testament principles that are spiritual and internal and eternal. Does that make sense? And we've learned some great lessons. And I mentioned that there was two main typical things about the manna that are very applicable to us. The first one we covered last week, and it was this. That manna, listen, is a type or a picture of the written word of God. The word of God. Amen? And we talked about all the things where it even says in Deuteronomy that God tested them there and was teaching them that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word that comes from the Father. And we, we kind of did all of that last week and how, how just like manna was the per, it was like, I was thinking about manna, it's like God's killer manna, like Dave's killer bread. Anyway, God's, ki- anyway, it had everything you needed. I should not say everything that pops into my mind, but it had everything they needed and they just had to go out and get it. And we made all these awesome, wonderful parallels, how just like manna physically had everything they needed for their spiritual growth and maturity and to thrive, same with the Word of God. The Word of God contains what we need for our soul's food, and that without it, we just will not grow, we will not thrive, we will not mature. It's a spiritual law. How often do you have to eat a meal to stay healthy, right? I mean, there's probably varying opinions on that, but let's just say you got to at least eat every day. And if the Bible is our spiritual food, how many of us are going around emaciated and spiritually anorexic because we are eating once a week, once a month? And so the whole point of last week was, hey, the manna was provided, but that's on God's end. But on their end, what did they have to do? They had to gather it. They had to go and make the effort to get it. How often? Every day. And could they save it till the next day? No, it stunk and got worms. In other words, you can't live on yesterday's manna. you got to go get fresh manna today. And we talked about how, man, we need to get up every morning or every evening whenever we can and, and just, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Gorge ourselves, there we go, on the Word of God. And as you do that day in and day out and day in and day out, you may not understand everything you read, but there's a health to you. There's a robustness to you. There's a, a thriving spiritually. And then you look at people who neglect the Word of God, and there is a stunt in their growth spiritually. It's just the way it is. I want to also take this opportunity to apologize. I drove away last week, and, and if you've sat under more than one Bible study that I've given, you know that as the Bible study goes, my vo- it just, everything starts to ramp up <laughs> in my energy level. And um, I felt like, as I w- drove away from the church last week, I felt like I left with the wrong note, the wrong heart behind what I was saying. I did not want to communicate at all that if you don't read your Bible, you're a bad Christian, and how dare you not read your Bible, and you read your Bible, like it was some like bony pointing finger, like, have you read your Bible today? And I asked my wife about it, and she's like, no, it didn't sound like that. But in my heart, I felt like I came across like that. Oh, I don't want that to be the case, because I don't know about you, as it relates to food, eating is not something like I endure. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, got to eat another meal. No, I, I think about it. I plan on it. I, I, I go to the cupboards and I scan and I, I like eating. And I, that, see, guys, that's ultimately what it's, it's not like some discipline to read the Bible and oh my gosh, I got to read the Bible again. Man, I hope it becomes, yes, it's a discipline, but I hope it becomes a delight where you're just like, oh, I can't wait for my next meal. Amen? And so we talked about that. 
But that's where we left it, and we made some great applications and stuff, but um, I, I, I feel like it's undone because there's another thing that the manna speaks of, maybe even a greater type and a greater application, and that is this. Um, it speaks of Jesus as the bread of life. It speaks of Jesus. I won't go too far into this, but even the manna itself, this humble, thin, flaky-like thing on the ground, very humble. Jesus, who is God, came and humbled himself. He came from God. He came to this earth. The Bible says in John 1.14 that the Word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. It speaks, manna does, of the incarnation of Jesus. And there's that whole aspect of it. But also there's this aspect that Jesus is the real and true bread of life that where we find, that's where we find our soul's satisfaction and salvation. Amen? In fact, Jesus himself latches onto this manna idea when he gave one of the greatest, most unbelievable teachings ever recorded, also one of his most polarizing teachings that he ever gave. Turn with me over to John chapter 6 for a minute. It's worthy of taking our time to go there. Um, and I'm not going to do the whole chapter. My goodness, it's 71 verses. It's a hefty chapter. But I just want to kind of bring us up to speed and then kind of look at how, what Jesus said about this whole thing. And it's huge. So in John chapter 6... Um, this is the story, the first part of it is the feeding of the 5,000. How many of you guys are familiar with that story? Not everybody will be, but if you've read any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, all four of them record this unbelievable miracle where Jesus is teaching to thousands and thousands of people. They're there for days and days, and they're hungry, and he needs to feed them, but there's no food, and he, they gather up five loaves and two fish, right? And we're told that he takes it, breaks it, blesses it, and gives it to the guys to distribute. And we're told that it feeds 5,000 men. And by the way, note that, 5,000 men. That's not including women and children. Who knows how many people were fed ultimately by this miracle, but it's such a huge miracle that it's recorded in all four um, of the gospel accounts. But John's is the only one that records the teaching that came after it. So after the feeding of the 5,000, you might remember that Jesus um, sends his disciples into the boat back across the Sea of Galilee towards Capernaum. Well, he dismissed the crowds, right? And then he goes up onto a mountain and he prays. And while he's praying in the middle of the night, where are the disciples? They're on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And a windstorm, which is still very common to this day, comes blowing through the valley from the west, you know, from the Mediterranean, and just starts just these massive waves, and they're just like freaking out. They think they're going to die, and just there in the middle of the night, somebody looks out, and they're like, what the heck is that? And it was none other than Jesus, right? Walking on the water, and that's when he comes and connects with them, and they end up going to the other side. So we know that part of the story. But when they get back to the other side, something happens the next morning. The people that were on the previous side, that the people he fed, not all of them went home, obviously. They wake up and they're like, wait a minute, where's Jesus? We saw him send the crowd off. We know there's no other boats. Where did he go? And they go around and they end up in Capernaum, right? And so they meet him there and that's kind of what happens 
when we pick up the story. I'm going to just read a few verses. Look at verse 25. They found him on the other side of the sea, and they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Verse 27, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Verse 28, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he hath sent. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work will you perform? Verse 31, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, there it is, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Listen to verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Look at verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Then they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Uh, let me actually skip down to verse 47. He says again, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, speaking of himself, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give is for life of the, uh, the, the bread that I will give, excuse me, for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. I don't know about you guys. When I even read portions of what Jesus says, stuff like that, I don't even want to say anything about it. It is so good. Amen? I love this. I mean, Jesus just absolutely blows their mind. They catch up to him and they say, this is interesting, when did you come here? They're like, when did you come? And he says, you seek me not because... Uh, of who I am, basically, but because of the food that you ate. They were asking him when he came, but he was telling them why they came. They were like, when did you come? He's like, let me tell you why you came. You were not here because you were so convinced of my miracles. You came because you got some food and you want some more. And they were like, well, you know, hey, you know, um, what do we must do to work the works of God? And, they were, and Jesus says, it's not works, plural, of God. There's one work of God. This is, how you, this is the work. And by the way, this might, you might need to hear this, somebody. This is the work. It's not works. It's one work. And the work is this, believe, faith. It's not the works of God. It's the work of God. You believe in him whom he hath sent. And they said, okay, well, we got an idea. Show us a sign. Give us a miracle. And then 
We'll see and we'll believe. I'm just kind of paraphrasing what we just read. By the way, isn't that interesting? They just saw one of the greatest miracles of all time of ever in the Bible. They just saw the, the feeding of the, they, were, they ate of the very food of that miracle. And it just goes to show, listen, miracles are never a good basis for solid, lasting faith. And there's, there's fascination with miracles and fascination with signs and wonders. Listen, I believe in a miracle-working God to this day. Amen? Can I get an amen? Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't discount miracles. I have no problem with miracles because he's God. And I don't think miracles happened then but not now. God can do anything. But listen, if you think that you, if you see a miracle, that will really just thrust you into like this whole other level of faith, you're wrong. Nobody saw miracle, more miracles than the Jewish people. And they, they're not even digested the last miracle. And they're asking for another one. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. That's, that's not how it works. And, and so they come up with an idea. They're like, listen, you should show us a sign so we can believe. I got an idea. Hmm, what could we do? Our fa- oh, Moses gave uh, bread to our fathers in the wilderness, gave a manna to eat. What were they saying? It was like a little, like if they had an emoji, they'd like the winky face one right there, like, like manna, catching my drift, catching what I'm throwing, picking up what I'm putting down, smoking what I'm dealing. No, I'm just kidding. Don't use that last one. But he says, do you understand what we're saying? What were they saying? Hey, we got an idea of a miracle you could do to just totally give us faith. Why don't you serve us breakfast? <laughs> and that's when Jesus launches into this, and he blows their mind, and he says, look, a couple of things. Number one, it wasn't Moses that gave you bread from heaven. It was my father. And then listen, and this is the kicker. He says, Verse 33, I believe it is. The bread of God is not a what? Listen, it's a who. He says, it's he who came down from heaven who gives life to the world. Amen? And this is such a wonderful teaching, and we could go on and on about it, but I just want to make it really simple. What did Jesus mean? Listen, what did Jesus mean when he declared over and again, I, listen, I'm not here to give you bread. He's saying, I am the bread. Your fathers, yeah, that was great. And, and it, it, it took care of their physical needs. But I am here to give you real life. I'm the bread of life. By the way, before I forget to mention it, this is a good spot to, to, to put this in there. Um, this is one of the great I am statements. Remember back in Exodus, it's related to our study. That's why I bring it up. Remember, remember back in Exodus chapter 3 when God revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush? And he said, well, what's your name? What sh- who shall I say sent me, right? And God says, tell them I am that I am. And we talked about that way back in Exodus 3, how God was declaring that he is. Is what? Exactly. God just is. He always has been. He always will be. He wasn't created. He's always been. He has no beginning. He has no end. But also, listen, he is and he becomes everything that we need. And it's perfectly personified when Jesus shows up on the scene and begins to say stuff like, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It's all about me. And in so doing, what Jesus was declaring was he is Jehovah. He is God. Amen? Jesus is God. He's not a prophet, one that you would lump in with somebody else. He is deity. 
And he says, I am. That's why on different occasions they picked up rocks to kill him because they knew exactly what he was saying, and in their mind it was blasphemy. But anyways, back to this. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what was he saying? A couple things maybe to jot down in your notes just to think through. Number one, just to get this out of the way, Jesus was speaking spiritually. Does that make sense? It may not even need to be said, but we need to say it. He was speaking spiritually. In verse 63, which we didn't read, of John 6, he says, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. He wasn't saying you have to eat my, we didn't read this part of the teaching, but he said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can't, you can't, you know, live. And that's when, by the way, remember I said this was one of the most polarizing teachings. Most of the people in the crowd that were following him left at that time. And that's when Jesus turns to Peter and says, you're going to leave too? Where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. But all that to say is that he's speaking spiritually. He's not being literal. They were thinking on a material physical, temporal plane, and he's trying to elevate them to a spiritual, eternal, um, internal plane. Doesn't this also, by the way, ring a bell of like the woman at the well? Remember that? Yes or no? The woman at the well where he's like, she's like, hey, you know, he, he says, look, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask him for a drink of water, and um, if you ever drinks this water, we'll never thirst. And she, you know, she was on, the, she was thinking like, well, I want that water. That's how they were like, hey, give us this food. But he's trying to get them to think spiritually. So number one, he's speaking spiritually. But listen, also bread in the Bible um, is synonymous with food, okay? It just means food. And you need food to survive, right? And so if, the, if they were thinking material and physical, he's thinking spiritual and eternal. What he's saying is in Moses' day, the manna was supplied to give them physical life. But what I'm telling you is that I am now here to give you spiritual and eternal life. Amen? He goes on to say, I am the bread of life. I am the bread or the, the bread of God. And he phrases it in several different ways. And so what that means for us, number one, is this. It means what Jesus was saying is that he and he alone is the way to salvation. That if we're going to be saved, we have to, if you would, ingest Jesus by believing in him. I know that you know this, but we need to make the connection, so we got it down. Look at, um, in chapter 6, look what he says in verse, um, let's see, verse 40, he says this. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up um, on the last day, verse 47, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And then later in verse 51, he says this, um, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him is life, and the, uh, the, is the life of the world. Is I messed that up last time I tried to read that. The point of all this is he says, look, you have to believe. You have to believe. I know you guys, I look around the crowd and I see who's here, and so I know that probably 99% of you guys know this. But it, it's worth saying anyway. Jesus was declaring that the only way to have eternal life is to believe in him, is to put your trust in him. 
that there's not many different ways. That there's not, well, believe in Jesus, and, but also you can get there if you're really sincere about the, Jesus was being very exclusive, and if it doesn't come out in this passage, he surely makes it clear later on when he says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Even this last week, I saw this and heard this with my own eyes and um, kind of overhearing a conversation, and it was cool. At first, I was so stoked because it was all about Jesus, and then the crystals came out. And I was like, oh my goodness. It's not Jesus and positive vibes. It's not Jesus and or Buddha. It's very exclusive. We don't live in, we live in a culture, let me put it in a positive light. We live in a culture that doesn't like this idea of being exclusive. We, we live in a very inclusive culture. Can we agree to that? Everything's inclusive. Inclusive, 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 inclusive. But we need to understand something that Salvation is exclusive, and if that's not my idea, and that's not some other pastor's idea or church history, this is from Jesus' mouth himself. He's the one that made it absolutely exclusive. Interpretation? I'm just kidding. Um, he made it absolutely <laughs> exclusive. He said, I'm the only way. But listen, truth by nature is exclusive. And I know that we live in a world of relative truth, but guys, the most important thing is that we understand that truth is truth. Whether we like the truth or not, it doesn't change the truth. And we, I think that we've we got to be very careful that this doesn't sneak into the church because it's all around the church and it's making its way into the church where if you are sincere, if you feel good about it, that can be your truth. And, and we have for decades now been being fed in universities and schools and all the way down that truth is relative, and that is absolutely not true. <laughs> and people will say there's no absolute truth, but we all know the whole in that statement, right? Because that's an absolute statement. But guys, truth is exclusive. Because it either is or it isn't. Two plus two is four, and we, we know that. But also think about it this way. Love is also exclusive, and that's a big one for our culture right now too, isn't it? Love, love, love. And the idea is that love is that you have to accept everything I am, and if you disagree with it, you're not loving me. You can't be exclusive if you're going to be loving, but guys, doesn't love demand some level of exclusiveness? Do I stand up next to my bride on the wedding day and say, I do, unless somebody else comes along. Is that cool? Uh, no. Here's your ring back, right? Why? Because my bride expects exclusivity from me and vice versa. I expect there to be a forsaking of all others. Amen? Again, I look at, like I'll start, you know, finish where I started. I know you know this, but I think it's something we need to hear again, and, and it's because this is the message that where the lines are trying to be blurred, where it, you can't just say it's only Jesus. And guys, I'm telling you, and you've already feel it, that we're moving in our culture to where it's going to be harder and harder to, to draw that line. We don't have to draw it angrily. We just have to draw it. I say, I can't, I can't get on board with that. No, it's just Jesus. And the, there's no more duplicity. We have to understand that it's only Jesus. And we have to be okay with people not liking us or liking that answer. 
but it's the answer that we have to, with a tight grip, hold on to. Because that's what the scriptures teach. Amen? And so listen, it's great news. There's life available. It's through Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you've never, to borrow from his metaphor, eaten of him, if you've never tasted and seen that Jesus is good, I would invite you tonight. Jesus would say, I am here right now. I have come from heaven. I am the bread of life. And you can find satisfaction for the deepest hunger and craving of your soul. It's me. Amen? Because every one of us are born with a craving to know God. And until you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you will try to fill that craving with everything else in the world and it'll still leave you hungry. And Jesus declares, I'm what you have been longing for, looking for, hungering for, craving for. It's me. Come and eat freely. Amen? We get that. If you're here and you didn't get that, you got it now at length. But see, there's another aspect to this. And this is where I really feel like this is the application. And I've already, um, these are my notes for chapter 17, and I'm already in my brain clipping that. We will do that next week. Because I don't want to rush this, and I don't want to rush that. Listen, I believe when Jesus, who is speaking spiritually, when he called himself the bread of life, he was saying that he is the one, A, that provides salvation. If we believe in him, we can live forever. That is salvation. But listen, I believe what he was also declaring is that even after salvation, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life that provides satisfaction. Now listen to me. A lot of Christians have salvation, but they don't have satisfaction in their salvation. Do you guys understand what I mean by that? No? Good, I'm glad you don't. That gives me a chance to elaborate. It means this. When we come to Christ and we are saved, we're born again of the Holy Spirit, and we're reconciled to the Father, we are born again. We're saved. It's a done deal. We are justified. It is done. But one of the things that I think we really need to learn and then learn again and then relearn, learn again, is that as we go through our pilgrimage of life, Jesus remains the bread of life for us, the solic satisfaction the satisfier of the deepest longings and cravings of our heart and soul. Amen? And that's what he alluded to as well. I believe um, if you go again back to John chapter 6, I'll just flip over there real quick. Look at verse 27. Actually, let me start with verse 35. He says in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, and the idea is comes and keeps coming to me, shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. And now look at verse 27, and I just want to spend a couple minutes on this. This is that part where they said, Jesus, you know, hey, um, when did you come here? And he says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus said to them, bear with me here for a second. At the beginning of this teaching, when they're like, hey, when did you get here? And he's like, you know, you're not here because of me or the signs you're here because you're hungry and then he gives them almost like this weird obscure warning out of nowhere don't work and labor for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life what was he warning them of 
he was warning them of trying to fill a soulic craving and hunger, a spiritual satisfaction with material and temporal things. That's it. Be careful. Don't try to satisfy that craving in your soul with material things. It will leave you hungry. Again, it's just like John chapter 4 to the woman at the well. If you drink of this water from this well, you're going to thirst again. If you drink from the watering holes of the world, you'll thirst again. They can never absolutely satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Amen? How many of you guys, at least at one point in your Christian experience, you've said, I've experienced this where Jesus is just everything I needed. He just absolutely fulfilled everything in my life. It was all him. Yes, any, I have. Anybody else? Just like, maybe it was just for like two minutes, but you're like, yeah, yes, it's all Jesus. Guys, it is Jesus. It is Jesus. But I'm telling you, I've been a Christian for 36 years because I got saved out of the womb. Just kidding. Um, I've been a Christian for a lot of years, decades now, and maybe some of you have too, but I'm still learning this lesson. Listen, what? That Jesus is still the satisfier of my soul. And it's always Jesus. And it's only Jesus. And you guys, we can crave good things, can't we? Right things. But listen to what I'm about to say because I really feel like this is the word for tonight. If our satisfaction, if our contentment in life, if our identity hinges on something that Jesus gives us and not Jesus himself, we're missing it. Does that make sense? It can be good things. Not bad things, good things. Spouse. Oh, if I just, if I just have a spouse... Then I can be content in life. Then I can be satisfied. Then you get a spouse and the rest. I'm just kidding. It's our human nature. I just feel bad for you guys because I got the last amazing woman. But anyway, that was, my, that was me trying to pull out of my downward spiral. Um, kids, and, and I say this gingerly because I, I have friends and I know how tender this can be. We just long to have children and that's a great desire. It's a godly desire. It's a good desire. But honestly, if you're looking at children as the thing that can bring you ultimate contentment and satisfaction in life, it'll leave you hungry. Career. I want to I advance. I've got this plan. Hey, that's great. But if, if your contentment in life hinges on whether or not you get that promotion or you, uh, uh, you know, raise up to that level of, like, respect with your coworkers and, and that's your goal, hey, there's nothing wrong with that goal, man. Go for it, I would say. But don't let your satisfaction, your contentment, your identity in life hinge on that because if you do and you attain it, you'll still be hungry. Ministry goals. I want to do this for the kingdom of God. I want to do that for the kingdom of God. And I want to be a pastor, a worship leader, a missionary, this or that. I want to be a Sunday school teacher. Come to Calvary North Shore. Um, those are great things. But listen, even in those things, if your contentment 
and your satisfaction and your identity are hinging on those things and not just Jesus, it'll leave you hungry. A house, if I could just have a house in Hawaii. <laughs> it's a great desire. It won't satisfy the craving of your soul. A new truck. Okay, that one will. No, I'm just kidding. Better surf this, that, fill in the blank. You guys know this lesson. I know this lesson. We've heard this lesson. I've taught this lesson. You've endured this lesson. But we've got to learn this lesson. Amen? It's Jesus. And I, this, this just became so real to me this week in, in a personal area of my life that I'm not going to share with you. It will stay personal. But I found myself, it was almost like as I'm studying this, going, yeah, the people need to hear this. And the Lord's like, Really? You kind of need to hear this. And there was this little area in my life where very subtly I had just begun to place upon that. If, if, when that happens, that's what's really, then I'll really have fulfilled, then I'll, all my cravings in ministry or all my, oh, I gave it away there. All, listen, and I have to learn it again. No. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm what you're craving. You think you're craving that, but you're not. You're actually craving more of me. And you see, when you have, when you're just content with Jesus, when you're just feeding on Jesus, when you're just enjoying your relationship with Jesus, when he is your contentment and he is your satisfaction and he is your identity, not what you do. You know, it's wrong for us to say, um, you know, what, what, what are you? I'm a surfer. No, you're not. You're a Christian. I'm a construction worker. No, you're not. You're a Christian. Who does construction work? I'm a teacher. No, you teach, but you're a Christian. That, that's our identity, amen? And when we can grab a hold on that, man, I will tell you, I hope and pray all those other things fall into place and, and it works out, but even if they do or even if they don't, it's okay because my soul is satisfied because I'm looking to Jesus to be the bread of life and not some other temporal thing that can never satisfy. Amen? And I just want to encourage you guys tonight. What is it in your life that if you're just brutally honest with yourself, you say, honestly, I love Jesus, I'm saved, but I walk around frustrated, I walk around discontent because I want this in my life or I want that in my life. And it's a good thing. I would say amen, it's a good thing. But can I tell you something? It's not going to satisfy you because only Jesus is the bread of life. Amen? How does all this work, you might say, on a practical level? Well, Jesus went on to say, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, and again, he's speaking spiritually, but let's go back to the manna example. How often did they have to go out and, and gather manna to eat? Every day. And Jesus said, give us this day, our daily bread. Guys, this is a daily thing where every day I look to Jesus and I spend time with Jesus and I pray to Jesus and I read Jesus' word and I repent to Jesus when I put other things in front of Jesus and I just intentionally, if you would, eat of him and let him be the satisfaction of my soul. Now, I'll end on this, but I can almost hear it in my mind people saying, whatever, that doesn't work. You know why I say that? Because I've done a lot of counseling over the years and I've done a lot of talking with people and I know my own heart. And we think, well, that sounds great from a pulpit or in, in church, but in real life that don't work. But I'm here to tell you, 
Try it. Taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let him be your everything. Let go of the thing that you think is your everything and and make Jesus your everything, and you're going to find something. Hey, if I get married, sweet. If not, Jesus really is enough. If I have kids, yes. But if not, Jesus really is enough. If I get the promotion, sweet. But if not, Jesus is enough. It's Jesus. He is the satisfaction for the craving, hunger, thirst of our souls. Amen? Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We praise you for your word. But I remember what you said in your word in John 5 where you called out those guys and you said you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they that testify of me and yet you refuse to come to me. And so, Lord, how grateful we are for your word, but, Lord, we want your word to draw us to the living word, to you. Lord, we want to experience eternal life. And, Father, I pray right now for anybody who's just even grappling with this tonight or maybe is wondering, why is my Christian life still so dissatisfying? Lord, help us to look upward and just eat of you, as it were, and let you fill our cravings, fill our wants, And be our everything, Lord. I pray right now, Lord, you would even just fill up my brothers and sisters with you. We repent from looking at other things, even good things, and say, Lord, we want to eat of you tonight. We want to, tomorrow morning, we want to make you everything to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, one little thing while you're standing and I got your attention. It was in my notes and I forgot, but I think it's important. Jesus said he would give us eternal life. And sometimes we wrongly think that, okay, I'm saved, so when I die, eternal life kicks in. Living forever. And that's true. But eternal life does not just speak of the quantity of life. It also speaks of the quality of life. And eternal life actually starts the moment you are born again. You get life. And Jesus said, I want to give you eternal life. In John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes to steal, steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and what? Life more abundant. That's the kind of life, the eternal life that Jesus wants to give us, and it is found when we eat of him, so to speak, when we look to him to be the bread of life, the sustenance for our life. Amen? Guys, I want to be a church. I want to be a church where we really get this, where we really are, where we just say it's all about Jesus. And people look at us and are like, what's your deal? Why are you always so like satisfied and content and joyful? It's Jesus. Because Jesus is in my life. And it's not like some weird pat, like churchy answer. It's just like for real. Amen? May that be for real for us tonight. God bless you guys. You're dismissed finally. Give somebody a hug.